CSN International presents to every man an answer, the live apologetics program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a Bible question or a question on the Christian faith, you can call us at 1-888-827-5276. Again, that's 1-888-ASK-CSN. Let's get things started. Here's today's host, Mike Kessler. Hi, and welcome to Thursday's edition of To Every Man and Answer. This is the time we set aside every weekday afternoon live radio where you can call in, ask a question. Maybe uh, you're troubled about some of the things you see going on in the world. Maybe somebody's asked you a question about the Lord and you want to be able to give them a good answer. Uh, You know, this is why we like to get together, to help one another. We're just a family just getting together, discussing the Bible, how important it is in these days that we live. Again, reminding everyone, as Jesus said, we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And I can't stress that enough, how important that is. And so if you've got a question you'd like to ask us, 8888-ASK-CSN. It's real simple, toll free, and we got some lines open, so you're sure to get on if you call right now. Good Joining me today, special guest, featured speaker here in the morning times on CSN, and also with me today, Daryl Skinner, Calvary Chapel, Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. And his program, A Chosen Generation. And uh, Daryl, so great to have you with us. Aloha. Aloha, and good to be with you and all the listeners to, for To Every Man and Answer. Looking forward to another great program and great questions that come in from all the people across the country. And it's a joy to be with you, Mike. And, you know, it, it's it's good to hear from people that want to learn and grow in the faith, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and let God use their lives. We're living in the last days, and as we're in these last days, it's times it's a time of harvest, it's time of soul, and it's time of discipleship. So it is always our prayer. I know Mike is a pastor, and I'm a pastor, is everyone would not be pew potatoes, but get involved in your churches, go for God, and get involved in some kind of ministry, be that discipler, be the one who's involved in serving or praying, whatever it might be, but just be doing something because you know what? We have the book of Acts. We need to be action Christians in these last days. It's a lot of fun. It's a great joy, and God will bless you abundantly. So good to be with you, Mike. Always a good to be with you. Looking forward to answering some questions. And with that, let's go ahead and go to the phones. We have Lisa in Washington. Hi, and welcome. Uh, hello. Good afternoon. So I'm calling because I have a question on First Corinthians yes. eleven ten, and mm-hmm. it says. Um, I'm confused as to why he mentions angels as where, when you have to wear a headband. Um, 11.10. Okay, let me get here to it. And uh, we know this particular passage of Scripture in 11.10 of our chapter 11 is, um, again, a very corrective letter uh, for <coughs> the church at Corinth. And it says, for this reason... Um, uh, uh, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Okay, your thoughts, Daryl? Yeah, you know, as we look to this passage, Paul the Apostle is, uh, in in the area of Corinth, there was many that, uh, there was a lot of prostitution going on with temple prostitutes, and there was a concern that there would not be any confusion. If we back up, we says, it says here, verse 6, for if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But it, if if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image of glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from men. 
from man, nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. Now, as we look to this, it says, for this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Uh, it is important to realize that as there was submission of the angels to God, so it was that the woman was to be is to be submissive to her husband. And we see this this sense of authority. Now, does this mean that every woman has to be wearing a head cover as she goes to church? No, it doesn't mean that whatsoever. Uh, Peter talks about the adorning of the hair and so forth. But he doesn't mention putting on a head cover. Uh, it was customary in in many of the Middle Eastern countries to wear a head cover still uh, is. on a regular still basis. Is. It, yeah, yeah, it still is exactly. And so, but Paul was dealing with a particular issue with the church at Corinth in regards to identification between uh, the temple prostitutes and these women, and make sure you're not identified with the temple prostitutes. It was for your own benefit. So sometimes when we read these letters. Uh, it's dealing with that particular church with a particular cultural situation, and Paul wants to minister to their hearts. And and in regards to this, he's talking about the essence of of uh, submission and authority, and the angel is submissive to God, and the woman needs to be submissive to the husband. He was created first, and then she came from his ribside. And, of course, the Bible declares that uh, God loves us all equally, and that the the woman was uh, taken from the man's ribside, that he'd love her, that he'd cherish her, that he'd protect her. He'd be the leader of the home spiritually and in and, and every way. And he would not be a master over her, but he would love her as Christ loved the church. And I think that's a great, great understanding of, of when it comes to submission. What woman doesn't want to say, hey, honey, I'll come alongside and complete you. Uh, as God's made me your suitable helper, <laughs> according to Genesis, and I will complete you and I'll be submissive to you as we are all submissive to the Lord. And the passage of Ephesians says, we're all submit to one another in the fear of God. And then it goes into the woman's submission and the man's loving the wife. And so this is God's order of things. He wants men to lead. He wants women to be in submission, not to be contentious by any means, and, and that we would just love each other with the love of Jesus and uh, it's going to be a beautiful thing. But Paul's dealing in this passage with some submission. Uh, Mike, you want to run with it? Yes, and it's also the cultural. Now, again, uh, here, dear, if you go back and go to First uh, Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, and I'll just read this. Now, I praise you, brethren, that you may remember me in all things and keep the traditions as I delivered them to you, or the ordinances that I delivered to you. But they were traditions. Now, again, cultural reaching out is so important. There are certain things that we do as Christians in America that if you do in the, in the uh, Micronesia, different countries around the world, would be appalling to them. I've shared this before, but in Oriental circles, if you cross your legs and uh, your people in the circle that you're sitting with can see the bottom of your feet, that's a high insult because the streets are filthy. And so why would you want to show the bottom of your feet to your friends? So there are things that we don't even sometimes think about that can offend other people. And so Paul writing, he's talking about traditions. Now, when you go, you ask that verse there concerning verse um, 
verse 10. But if you go down to verse 16, but if anyone seems contentious, that means argumentative, you don't want to do it. We have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. It does not say we have that this is um, God's law and you have to do this. He's saying that as the angels are in submission to God, just as you mentioned, Daryl, there's that submission and to show that she submitted to her husband or to male authority, she wears that on her head. That was the custom of the day. And just as we said, still is in many different Middle Eastern countries even now. However, it has nothing to do with your salvation. It has nothing to do with you going to heaven. It has nothing to do with you being a better or a worse Christian. It's honoring the customs, or as we find in verse 2 here, and again, uh, context is everything, the tradition is we want to be careful not to offend the people that we're trying to reach out to. And we don't want to take our liberty, though all things are lawful in Christ, we don't want to take our liberty and offend other people. This is where getting meat sacrificed to idols and another place Paul says, hey, realizing they're really not any gods at all, it's not an issue. But if somebody believes and that would hurt their walk with God, we want to be careful. And so our freedoms can affect other people that are maybe, say, weaker in the faith or have not yet come to full understanding of the freedom that's in Christ. We want to be very careful about that. So not only do you have it in verse 2 of, of chapter 11, where it says, the traditions that I deliver to you. Traditions, not sins or, or, or commandments. Traditions. And you also find it in verse 16. If anyone seems to be argumentative, we have no such customs, nor do the church of God. We have to understand that. And you'll find almost all these have to do with, unbelievably, hair. It's a shame for a man to have long hair, it tells us here, right in a couple of verses before. Well, if I saw some guy with his hair dragging in the dirt, I'd say, boy, that's a shame too. Does not say it's a sin. Does not say it'll keep you out of heaven. And same way it is for women. This is dealing with traditional customs of the day, and we need to be aware of that even in our custom, in our world as well. There's some things that even in the United States, People view, we got to be careful of. Well, is it okay for a Christian to have a glass of wine at dinner? Well, the Bible doesn't say it's wrong. It says, don't be drunk with wine where in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Proverbs 20 says, wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. People that are deceived by it are not wise. But if I sat down to dinner with somebody, and they're a recovering alcoholic, and they see me having a cup of wine, which could put them back on a binge again, I want to be very careful of the freedoms that we have in Christ. All things are lawful, but not all things are the best for us or best for others. Not all things are expedient, as the Word of God says. Hope that helps, Lisa. Yes, and do you think I can ask another question? Sure. So I have read the Bible many times, and I'm trying to figure out what is the best way I can actually study it and learn it, because I... You know, I'll read it, and then I feel like I'm just, I don't know what to do next. Well, I think this is where there's some really good commentaries. And if you have a computer, if you go to blueletterbible.org, blueletterbible, it's free. 
Up in the upper left-hand side, it'll have a thing uh, for study helps. Click on that, and it'll open you up to a lot of commentaries. I like Chuck Smith. I like uh, um, Aguzik's. Uh, I like Matthew Henry's commentary, though it's about 300 years old. I still get a real uh, blessing out of it because it it uh, it uh, uh, gives us a, a perception of Christianity as it was in the 1700s. Um, but there's a lot of good information there. And uh, again, there are some of the easier reading Bibles, the New American Standard, or uh, which I, I like. Um, but I, I think a good place to start for a person that hasn't spent a lot of time in the Bible is, I, I think a good place to start is in the Gospels, whether Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. But read there. That'll give you uh, how God is redeeming man. Now, the Old Testament predicted that God would redeem man. The New Testament tells us how he did it. And so I hope that helps. Okay, thank you. God bless you, Lisa. Stay in line. I'll send you some books that'll maybe help you along that lines. I'll send those out to you. Stay in line. We'll get those out to you. Let's go to James in Idaho. Hi, welcome. Hey, blessings to you guys. How are you today? Good. How may we help? Good, thank you. Uh, well, I have a kind of an oddball question. Um was looking at Ezekiel chapter 2, and he's describing some creatures there, and I was wondering, and I I think I know the answer. I just wanted clarification. Are they the same creatures that Daniel describes and the ones that are also described in the book of Revelation? I believe so, or at least in that same heavenly host, um, because we do know that it is a vision of God and the throne of God. And when John saw that in Revelation 4 and 5, he saw these incredible things going on. Your thoughts? Yeah, and I agree the, the same as uh, uh, th- there's cherubim and seraphim and so forth, uh, angelic beings and so on, and the, the events that are taking place uh, as we look to uh, the book of Ezekiel chapter 2 in comparison. So a uh, good op- observation, I would say. Mike? Yeah, so I, I hope that sheds some light on that for you. Yep. Well, God bless you. Stay, on, Thank stay you. on the line, and we'll Thank send you. some things out to you. I think you'll really enjoy, including the movie Jesus. We'll get those to you. Let's go to Royal in Nampa. Hi, welcome. Yeah, um, so I'm just calling about uh, the morality of life support. Uh, I've got an uncle in uh, the ICU right now who had uh, aneurysm in his heart, and mm-hmm. he's uh, not responding anymore. And uh, My uh, aunt believes we should uh we should you know pull the well take him off the ventilator and see you know what he does but he has no ability to breathe and my father believes that it's murder taking him off so i'm just kind of i i'm at a loss to kind of can i ask you know, a question how old is he he's 52 well, that's pretty young um yeah. You know, I've seen a lot of people that, you know, are in this condition and make full recoveries too. So, yeah, uh um, why is why is he there? I mean, is it a covid clot? Is it is it a heart attack? Is it an aneurysm? What do you know what's wrong? Oh, uh, yeah, it was an aortic aneurysm. Um and he lost all blood flow to the lower part of his body and is um so they they've managed to fix it and the surgery went good, but while he was in his coma or out, he had several uh, 
major strokes and oh. uh, one of the strokes has affected his ability to breathe on his own as well as wake up and his kidneys haven't come back on line yet so it's yeah it's pretty rough yeah uh, you know yeah. daryl for for both of us that have both been dead mm-hmm. uh, i've been dead <laughs> yeah. uh, daryl's been dead we're, we're the we're the lazarus club uh, I, I've been dead longer than you have, though. That's one thing. I've, I've been <laughs> yes, dead for yeah. I've been dead for almost two minutes. And yep, uh, yep. What, how how long have you been dead? Been at twenty four seconds. Wow. So yeah, we're 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 having a, a race here. But I had a I had a COVID clot to the heart, and and uh, it uh, what's called the widowmaker, and I was dead. I mean I mean uh, and in fact when I. Uh, closed my eyes. I heard myself flatline on the monitor in the hospital. And I, I looked at my wife and I said, well, that ain't good. And that was the last thing I said. And I just stopped. Well, a, a few minutes later, I came back to life and she said to me, she said, um, do you know where you are? And I said, oh, I said, uh, uh, um, I said, I guess I passed out. She goes, no, you died. And I said, oh, and they they paddled me, and she says you're going to be really sore tomorrow. But she says we're going to go put a stent in you right now. And they literally ran the gurney down the hallway, pulled me over onto the cardboard sheet and all, and uh, and and started in. Um, Daryl, you know, same for you. I mean, if, right. if that would have been it right there, I mean, I wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be here. Uh, so your thoughts. Yeah, you know, uh, from my own experience, I had three heart failures in uh, when I was 32 years old. I was in, appeared to be perfect health, and the sinus node to the heart that sets the electrical rhythm just decided to stop three separate times. Third time, fortunately, I was in the hospital. It had stopped uh, for a minute, 24 seconds. Of course, they uh, they got me all going, and it was quite an experience with the Lord. I was engulfed in a bright light. I said, "Lord Jesus, I trust my wife and my kids to you. I know you'll take care of them." And then all of a sudden, I heard a voice just speak to me, and it was the Lord saying, Daryl, keep breathing. A puff of air comes out of my mouth, and uh, I got a nurse on my chest, and she's been doing CPR, and they've sticking me all kinds of needles. And, uh, and and I couldn't stop smiling. At the foot of my bed, there was uh, another nurse said, what did you see? What did you see? And I said, I was ready to meet Jesus, because <laughs> that was it. I mean, it was like the light that I was in was like a floodlight. It was like right in your eyeballs. And, um, and so the Lord has, you know, he's not done with me yet. Right. So I was 32 over 30 years ago. And I think Mike and I both run on batteries. And <laughs> so uh, we have our little friends in our chest called pacemakers and, uh, only the Lord knows. Or did you get one, Mike? No, I don't, I don't, you? I don't have a pacemaker. Okay, I have one. You have the stint. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we're, we're just a heart attack away from going home, but, it, <laughs> but you know, I think getting back to your, your, I think what you said is your uncle. Uh, you know, it's sometimes it's a wait and see, and and it's it's tough to wait and see because you don't want them to suffer more than they should in that condition, and at the same time the hospital bills go up and all those things. But you know, money's no comparison to human life. Uh, I know when my mom had cancer, and she was dying in the hospital, uh, ovarian cancer, and there was nothing they could do for. Her. Uh, we we, you know, I have a large family, and some of them are very emotional. And we made her suffer for 30 days uh, until her body just filled up with fluids and crushed her lungs and every, her heart and everything else. It was, it was, tor- it was tormenting where we probably should have just took her off that life support, let her just go a natural death. Because basically if it wasn't for all the machinery we hooked people up to, they would have just gone. 
In this particular case, it might be a little bit different. He's 52, uh, and and he's uh, in that situation. And could he come back? Uh, we don't know that. We're not God. Only God knows. But uh, I think uh, it, it, you get something you got to pray about and uh, and realize if it's time for him to go, uh, let him go. We, we're going to miss the person. There's no doubt our heart breaks because we're going to miss him. But my goodness, they go to heaven. Praise the Lord. And, uh, is uh, he a believer? Uh, Royal, is he a believer? Uh, yeah. Yeah, he is. Well, you know, okay. I, the other thing, you know, real quick to tell you, too, is that, um, uh, you know, I, I, you, know you, you ask a very difficult question in this regard. I don't know anybody spiritual enough to answer that question for you. Um, and certainly we wouldn't be able to do that either. All we can say is, is it possible for people that seem to be absolutely checked out to come back and lead a normal life? Yes, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. However, we do know that there are many, we all know those, uh, that didn't and, and, and haven't. So, you know, all I would do is just ask the Lord, you know, and, and we'll, we'll pray for him, that the Lord would either, either bring him back or take him home. But Amen. it's the limbo in between is what's so hard on the families and, and even hard on him. So we just, you know, just, just you know, we'll pray for him, Okay. Yep, that sounds good. Father, we just lift this man up to you in Jesus' name, and we know, one who heals, that you would reach your hand of healing to him. If this is not your plan and it's time for him to go home to be with you, then you can take him too. Lord, it's really hard to leave a question of life and death in the hands of family, friends, children. I I would just ask you that they would not have to make this decision because of the guilt that follows and all these different things. But Lord, God who heals against incredible odds, you can heal this man. And so Lord, we just ask you for a divine miracle. Whichever you decide is fine. But Lord, to to leave it in the middle is so hard. So we ask you in Jesus' name to either heal him or take him home. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We all hope that helps. Oh, it does. It does it. There's a ton. It's just, yeah, it's it just is. hard, you know, trying oh, to deal with all this. But, you know, it is it is what it is. And it's, you know. Well, you're not in it alone. Tra- you know, yeah. you got you got your Christian family there and here. And, and uh, you know, we'll be praying for you because it's important. You know, let us know how it all goes, okay? Well, do. Uh, we need a lot of prayers. So thank yeah. you. Stay online. We'll send you out some books, some DVDs, and um, perhaps it'll encourage uh, encourage the family. Okay. Thank you. God bless you. God bless. Let's go to Eric, Southern California. Hi, welcome. Hi, Mike. Hi, Daryl. Um, I have a question from the Old Testament. In the book of Genesis, Joseph interpreted the dreams to the cupbearer, the baker, and to Pharaoh. What were those dreams? What did each one reveal? Okay, well, we, we know that um, uh, certainly Pharaoh, the seven skinny cows, uh, seven fat cows, seven skinny cows, uh, spoke, uh, they, were, they would eat, the, the skinny cows ate and ate and ate, and they wouldn't put on any weight. And he said, well, this is because there's a famine coming. There's going to be seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. What Pharaoh needs to do right now is you need to start building some warehouses and start warehousing food because this is going to be really bad. And uh, Pharaoh was so impressed. He says, where can I find someone who the wisdom of the gods dwell? You be my prime minister. He went from prison to uh, his right-hand man in one day. Incredible 
how a day makes a difference. And this is what I tell everybody about suicide. Joseph could have been at the end of his rope that one day, and here, even a, something that he did a while ago, interpreting the dream for the for the for the uh, butler, came and in that one day he went from literally rags to riches, and uh, all part of God's great plan. Now, when we look at the two servants uh, that were there in prison with him, evidently there was a plot against Pharaoh to kill him. They didn't know whether it was the butler or the baker. Evidently, there was something wrong with the food. Uh, and your thoughts? Uh, yeah, and, and as we look to, you know, basically you read about the life of Joseph from chapter uh, 37 through 50. It's a great read about his life and how God uh, took him through so many uh, uh, trials to bring him to that place of uh, exaltation as the right-hand man of Pharaoh and so forth. And then, of course, ministering to his brothers who were jealous of him, wanted to get rid of him. And all these special events that took place. You know, and that's where so many times we may be in the valley of despair. And then God is 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 teaching us great lessons for life. He's teaching us the character of Christ who suffered and went to the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was set before him, which is us. And many times as, as a Joseph went through these things, God has his ways of ministering to us. So we're learning, we're growing, or we're testifying of the power of God to whether it be non-believers or believers, whatever the perspective might be. And so as Joseph uh, received uh, and interpreted those dreams and the fruition and the fulfillment came to pass, God blessed mightily and abundantly uh, the children of Israel to provide for them, to protect them during a great time of famine. And and uh, Joseph became so skillful in a foreign land, so to speak. And then God will ultimately, unfortunately, the next Pharaoh, after 400 years of slavery, will in, in, end up uh, paying a great price uh, by uh, through Moses and so forth to deliver these folks from their slavery and their bondage and to humiliate uh, the Pharaoh of the Egyptians and the Egyptian uh, army. So, Mike, I'll give it back to you. Yeah, I hope that helps. It does. Um, I have another question. Uh, do you think the American news media will get their license revoked, or do you think they'll just keep their license and license and continue deceiving people? I, I don't know. But, you know, you, you look at all this stuff about this one congressman in New York. Oh, he lied, and oh, we want him to step down. But Joe Biden lies endlessly about <laughs> being part of different colleges and all the things that he did and the diseases that he had that he never had. Not a word about that. No, the American news media is totally rotten. And uh, I say that not to offend anything rotten. It's that bad. Coming up on a break, we'll be back for more. You know, it's true. Difficult times have a way of focusing us. We have to think about what matters most when it comes to our spending, our health care. No doubt. This is why so many people are joining MediShare right now. MediShare is a trusted way to save up to 50% on your monthly health care costs. More than 400,000 people have already made the switch. It's pretty obvious why, too, especially now during this challenging season with health care costs and out-of-pocket expenses going up. MediShare can save you a lot of money. The typical family saves $500 a month. And MediShare is a Christian healthcare sharing ministry that's worked beautifully for 29 years. There are different options to choose from to fit your budget. I'll give you the number here in a second. And if you call, you can get a price within two minutes. Maybe now is the perfect time to make the switch. 
and start saving. Here you go. Call 855-91-BIBLE. That's 855-91-BIBLE. 855-91-BIBLE. Tragically, every minute, unborn babies' futures are sucked out of existence. But amid the darkness, there is a light that shines. Preborn introduces mothers considering abortion to their unborn babies through ultrasound. Once she hears that heartbeat and sees a precious life, the majority of the time, she will choose life. I got to hear how strong her heart was I was like I felt like she was supposed to be here and it didn't matter what anybody else told me and all that mattered was that I was blessed with the ability to carry life inside of my body and that baby was supposed to be here for something and that was all that mattered. Preborn equips centers nationwide to save babies lives and souls and has rescued over 200,000 babies lives through ultrasound. To learn more about the life-saving work of Preborn call 855-668-BABY that's 855-668-BABY or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. All gifts are tax deductible. Your love can save a life. Back to Thursday's edition of To Every Man and Answer with Daryl Skinner. I'm your host, Mike Kessler. And uh, we were talking with Eric as we uh, went to the break. Daryl, any last thoughts? Uh, no, unless Eric has another. Uh, you have any other questions, Eric? No, that's just all I have. And here, right. We do got rain coming into Southern California Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. <laughs> oh, I know. I, I can't believe a lot of it. Do you know what is so amazing is right now it's basically a normal weather pattern, at least when I grew up in Southern California. And, um, and and you'd think that they would back off on the global warming whole. Oh, no, they're even pouring it more into it. Because, you see, the actual facts are conflicting with their theories. And so when you get in trouble, just tell bigger lies. And that's yeah. what they're doing. And it is absolutely incredible. Again, if you cut down the sequoias, you can see there's been times of drought and heat and these kinds of things for many years. And and uh, um, now, no matter what weather abnormality anywhere on Earth, it's, it's, it's global warming. Even saying volcanoes are. I don't know what, what drugs they're eating, but I'll tell you <laughs> something. If you believe volcanoes are caused by climate change, friends, you better go back to school and learn some basic laws of thermodynamics because that has nothing to do with it. But see, this is where the insanity of a world religion comes in, that we're going to keep believing it even though it's really not real. Even though the real facts, the rings and the sequoias, bristlecone pine, uh, uh, that show these trees that are thousands of years old refute what they're saying. Down through history, we see these great droughts. The northern part of Africa during the time of Jesus was the Roman Empire San Joaquin Valley. It's where they grew their crops. By 500 AD, it was desert. Yeah, it's been going on for a long time, not caused by your kitchen stove that now the Democrats say they want to get rid of all gas kitchen stoves. Why don't you control the border and stay out of our houses, government? 
Mm-hmm. How about that for an idea? Why don't you knock down the fentanyl? I just got a call today from a dear sister in the Lord who their family, some one of their family members got into this fentanyl stuff dead today. But the Democrats keep that border wide open. Like I say, we've got about 60 million illegal people in our country. The government will admit to about 30 million. So you know it's going to be at least that. And by every other estimate that we can find, it's probably more like 60 million. But they're still letting tens of thousands in a month, a week. How many is enough? When it gets to be a billion illegal aliens living in our country, is that going to be enough? Or 500 million or 200 million illegals? You see, it's unsustainable. This is insane. And as long as that border's open, you've got drugs pouring across that southern border. But what are they concerned about taking the gas stove out of your house? Man, I'll tell you, our government is nuts. And then when we find out about the Hunter Biden laptop thing, where they were paid by the government, by the FBI, to the retail news outlets to keep the Hunter Biden laptop thing hush-hush. They were bribing the American news media to keep it quiet. What in the world is the FBI doing? I mean, wasn't it enough with the crazy shenanigans of Comey with the CIA? And then we see what's going on with the FBI? Why isn't the American news media telling people the truth? Why is it that... that, that um, Biden can have these top secret documents in his home, in his many homes. And by the way, you don't see the FBI raiding other houses that Biden owns where they've already found these documents like they did Trump. And Trump had a right to do it. He was the president, but Biden was the vice president under Obama, and he had no right to these documents. But do you see anybody up in arms about that? I notice in MSNBC, uh, and especially on uh, on one of their their uh, news or things, not a word about the Hunter Biden top secret documents in their home. See, they just omit what they don't want because it proves they're lying. This is what they do. And America is duped. You keep telling a lie. And then even though when it comes out, it's proved to be a lie, There'll never be a retraction by the American news media because they're for the end of your nation. They want your country to go bye-bye. You're going to be a one-world order. And again, it's going to be really a, a, um, uh, a modified form of communism that's going to run your country. Yeah, you'll still have some freedoms, but those in power are going to stay in power and give their power to the Antichrist. Friends, it's not long off. I'm telling you, you're watching the end of your nation as we speak. There is not a country in the world that exists with open borders. And yet, that's what they're pushing. And that's what they're encouraging. And when somebody tries to build a wall like the governor of Arizona with storage containers, they're told by the American government to take it down and tell you to maybe get rid of your gas stove in your kitchen. Boy, talk about a government completely out of control. Boy, I'll tell you, much to pray about. So what do we do now that we know that really what's going down? Work for the night is coming when no one can work, Jesus said. Redeeming the time, the days are evil. 
We live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, and don't be sidetracked by other gospels that are out there, no matter what form they come in. We live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Eric, stay in line. We'll send you out some books, some DVDs. Thanks so much for the call. Let's go to Daniel, Connecticut. Hi, welcome. Hi, thank you very much, and Happy New Year. Um, and, and thank you for opining on that again. Yeah, I mean, seriously, who do we think we are that we could actually destroy the Earth? We don't have that power. No. <laughs> well, when you stop to think, one volcano puts out more sulfur dioxide than than humans do for, for you know, a half a century, just one. And then they, they blame human beings. And we're worried about gas stoves in our in our house where all of India doesn't care at all where all of China doesn't care at all, where the rest of the world doesn't care at all, and the Democrats want to take away gas stoves, why don't you patrol the border? Why don't you get your priorities right? Because you can't keep sweeping it under the carpet because eventually you start tripping over that big giant bump in the middle of the living room under the carpet called, uh, called uh, well, how do we say it? called um, not doing your job. Maybe that's the best way. But oh, let's spend another $1.7 trillion and just kick that inflation rate even higher, everyone. See, that's what makes inflation. When you spend money, you don't have. Sorry, Daniel, I digress. How can we help? <laughs> Thank you, sir. Um, I was wondering if you could help me on something I've been conceptualizing. During, um, in the book of Revelation, at um, those who don't take the mark of the beast and that um, survive that process, um, um, I was thinking that uh, I know a number of them are uh, martyred for their faith. And to me, that would be those who realize they're being martyred because they uh, don't take the mark. But does yes. that mean that um, I don't necessarily um, know or would think that they all necessarily um, become Christians at that point or, or follow Christ. And the reason for that is kind of what we're talking about here. I mean, if you look at social media, you have many people who don't profess to have any kind of faith at all, but they're so anti-government of any kind and anti-establishment. I think that their hatred for the way things are run governmentally, that they just might refuse to take the mark of the beast just by virtue of that concept. Um, so I'm thinking if they go they survive the tribulation or even get killed and go into the millennial reign. Are these the folks then who are then get to experience as um, in the millennial part, um, the ones who experience what, um, uh, you know, living with Christ really looks like. And these are the ones who during that period will get to make their ultimate choice. Absolutely. Based on. Yeah. A great observation. Those that do not take the mark of the beast, whether Christian or non-Christian, will go into the millennial reign of Christ, the way I read it. Uh, if you take the mark of the beast, you're done. And that's the separating of the sheep from the goats and, and that we all find mentioned. Uh, but they will not, you, you'll not find people during the millennial reign of Christ with the mark of the beast on their hand or on their forehead. Your thoughts? Yeah, there's some believe that all non-believers, all, all believe, it's only going to be believers are the sheep that will come into the millennial kingdom, the 1,000-year reign of Christ after the Great Tribulation period. Uh, and some there may be some who also believe that possibly, well, they're not really believers, but they didn't take the mark, so they're allowed also. You know, the Lord's going to determine that and make sure everybody's coming in. Now, sheep need a shepherd. Jesus is the chief shepherd of our souls. 
So uh, and when when that thousand year reigns and he separates Matthew twenty five toward the end of the chapter, he separates the sheep from the goats. The goats are those who took the mark of the beast. They're going to be cast to Hades, waiting for the final judgment. Then the sheep are going to be allowed to come into the one thousand year reign of Christ. Though they will have children and children and children and children during that time period. And all of these folks are going to make a decision to follow Jesus or to reject Jesus. And that decision, right now, Satan is bound for a thousand years. Then he's going to be released at the end of the thousand years. As he's released, now comes the moment of truth. Do you truly love Jesus? Will you believe in Jesus? Do you truly believe? Or are you just going to follow the ways of Satan again and and rebel against the Lord in this great invasion that's going to take place at the end of the uh, 1,000-year reign of Christ? So this is what's going to take place. And the Lord knows who's his and who's not. But the children that are born to the sheep during a thousand years, they have to make a decision to come to faith in Christ, to believe in him as their Lord and Savior, or they're going to follow in the rebellion of Satan and find themselves judged and cast to the final judgment, which is the lake of fire. Mike, I'll give it back to you. Yeah. And and so, um, uh, I, I you know, that's kind of, and, and where we get this is out of Revelation 20, verse 4, it says, and I saw the thrones, and they that sat on them, the judgment was given to them. I saw the souls of them that had been beheaded for the witness of Jesus, for the word of God, and who had not worshipped the beast or his image, nor received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now, of course, we know that those uh, people who make it through the tribulation period will not be reigning with Christ, but certainly those who had been beheaded for uh, uh, their faith in Christ will. And just as those that went in the rapture, so those that are martyred in the tribulation period will be part of uh, Jesus's administration. But where they get that a little bit, I believe, is that last part of that, where uh, those who had not worshipped his image, uh, nor taken the mark on their hands. So hope that's where that come. I hope that answers it. And that's where that comes from. Uh, yes, sir. Thank you. Um, I have one more question with your permission. Kind sure, of related sure. to Revelation. Thank you. Um, would you, um, in um, oh, Revelation 7, um, Dan and Ephraim, I believe, are not in the 12 tribes, but they're replaced. Um, what, um, why were they replaced? Well, some people believe Dan, the Bible says uh, that, uh, and, and Ephraim, uh, Dan was the, the first tribe that really misled Israel with the, the Baals and all. Uh, Ephraim is joined to her idols. Leave her alone, the Old Testament says. Your thoughts? Yeah, both of these had uh, led the, the children of Israel. That's the right. two that are omitted, Dan and Ephraim, they they were involved in leading the children of Israel into idolatry and idolatrous ways. And so they are replaced by, uh, uh, Dan is replaced by Levi, and Joseph takes the place of Ephraim. And uh, yet, by the grace of God, you see Dan reestablished in the in the uh, in the in the millennial reign of Christ. So uh, that'll take place. But it was because of what they had done, and uh, and so God says, "Okay, I'm not going to give you that privilege uh, during the tribulation period when His Spirit is poured out upon the twelve tribes of Israel, twelve thousand uh, anointed evangelists for Jesus, sealed by Jesus." protected by Jesus. They'll be preaching the gospel during the seven years of tribulation. And that's where you get the 144,000, 12 tribes, 12,000 from each tribe. And it's going to be a powerful witness across the world with these 144,000 Jews. 
Mike. Hope that helps. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. God bless you. Stay in line, Daniel. Send you some books, DVDs, the movie Jesus. And uh, we're going to go to Sarah, Palm Springs. Hi, welcome. Hello. Hi. How may we help? Oh, I, I'm sorry. I didn't know why. Okay. Real quick question. Um, I'm a Christian, been a Christian, but I have very knowledge of the little bit of knowledge of the Bible. My sister, who's a Jehovah Witness for many, many, many years, um, set up a, a Bible study. And one of the things that they kept telling me that Jesus was not crucified on the cross, that he, you nowhere in the Bible does it say that Jesus was crucified on the cross. So I, I don't know where to look to say that's not true. So can you give me some scriptures? Okay. Your thoughts. Well, Paul tells us in Corinthians, the very first chapter, that it's the power of the cross that leads to salvation. Uh, it's the cross of Christ. Constantly you hear the word cross throughout the scriptures. Uh, when you look at Jesus dying on the cross, he had his his his, his arms were out, his hands and, and feet were pierced. Uh, they want to say he was crucified on a pole. Uh, Jesus died for our sins on a cross. And he not only died on the cross, but he gave us salvation from that cross, meaning his blood, his holy and righteous blood as the Lamb of God was shed for our atonement. The real issue is the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for our atonement, our salvation there at the cross of Christ, the cross of Calvary. So uh, this is a, a fallacy of the Jehovah's Witnesses who say Jesus was just uh, crucified on a, on a stake and not a cross. And uh, it's important. We find the word cross uh, in Matthew 10, 38 and 16, 24, Jesus says, and take up his cross and follow me, uh, and so forth. So he's talking about the cross. It's an instrument of death, Let it, and, and, and so forth. So it's important to realize, as you look to the scriptures, they say what it says, and you don't follow Jehovah's Witness. They, they don't even believe Jesus is, is uh, Emmanuel, which means God with us. They believe that Jesus is the archangel Michael. And if, if, if Jesus was a, an angel, then he is not permitted to receive any worship. But uh, you find Peter falling down before him. You find uh, uh, John falling down before him and so forth. You find Thomas falling down before him, before the Lord Jesus, and say, my Lord and my God. That's what Thomas said. He's not an angel. He said, my Lord and my archangel Michael. He says, my Lord and my God. The Bible says in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It is it, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. So these are some of the fallacies and the erroneous teachings of what is called a cult, the Jehovah's Witness cult. They don't believive in the Trinity either. And uh, and then, of course, they, they think we have to go back to the Old Testament, and you can only worship God on Saturday by keeping the law. And they don't keep the law because you're not allowed to drive more than two-thirds of a mile if you're going to keep the Sabbath, truly keep the Sabbath law. You can't light a fire if you're going to truly keep the Sabbath law. So you can't even flip on a switch. And and so this is all the, many of the errors of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Michael, give it back to you. Yeah, and, and the word in the in the Greek is the word sutros, and, and it speaks of, of uh, a pole. Now, here's where they mess up. Generally speaking, from what we tell from historians, the poles were in place where the criminals were to be executed. But they were required, the criminal was required to carry the cross piece that would then be attached to a notch in the pole fastened there. So they would nail the criminal to the very 
board that they were carried. Just like, for instance, picture a railroad tie on their back, okay? They would then be nailed to that. Then that would be dropped into the notch in the pole tied up there. So then when it came time to take them down, they wouldn't have to lift the dead body up uh, out of the socket. What they would do is cut the rope that held the cross piece on and the body would just fall down the, the beam landing on top of them. They don't care. They were criminals anyway. And so uh, taking the criminal down then did not require any work to lift the pole up to take them down. And of course, why would you do that anyway? Expended labor for no reason for a dead criminal. So what they would do then, again, is they would cut the pole, uh, cut the rope that was in the notch. Then that would come out and then fall down. That would also mean that when they lifted the the criminal up, they would not necessarily have to lift the entire cross up, but just the cross piece until it fell into the notch and then secured. So we understand that this is probably what was the actual picture of it. Uh, And so for them to say, well, uh, it is a pole. Well, that's true because half of it was just a pole, but the part that Jesus carried was the cross piece that made the cross. So I hope that shed some light on it for you. Thank you so much. But I I tried um, to write, he said, Matthew 10. And what was the rest of that scripture for me to uh, look at it? Go ahead. Um, Matthew 10, 38, uh, you have, uh, uh, take up your cross and follow me, says, and and Mark 8, 34, he's talking about the cross, the instrument of death. Uh, Matthew 10, 38, Matthew 16, 24, you find Jesus on the cross in Matthew 27, that the most of the chapter talks about the cross there in uh, Matthew 27, 32, 27, verse 40, 27, verse 42. And, and then you go to the other gospels also, which is, uh, you know, also the same story with the same signs of the cross that Jesus was crucified on. And something else, when the blood was put on the doorposts, when the children of Israel were in Egypt, the the specific place they were told to put the blood was on the cross piece on the top, on the lintel, and on the doorposts, the very places where Jesus bled from. And of course, by putting it on the lintel or on the uh, top beam, if you will, on the header, Um, it would, of course, then drip down where Jesus' feet were pierced as well. So you have there, in the entry of a Jewish home, the night before Passover, the four main places that Jesus bled, on the header or on the lintel, on the header, on on the doorposts where the nails went into his hands, and then, of course, where it dripped down and where his feet were. And so this is another one of the reasons why I believe that supports the idea of the cross beam. Now, of course, the Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe Jesus is God, something every cult has in common. Mm -hmm. Now, get this straight, everybody. Two things. Hell is not a real place, which the Jehovah's Witnesses say is not, and that Jesus is not God. It doesn't matter in Matthew chapter 1 that he shall be called Emmanuel, The Bible says these exact words, he shall be called Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. 
In John 8, 58, Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. They say, oh, so what? The next verse says, and they picked up stones to stone him because claiming to be God was a capital offense. Now, they rewrote in the New World Version. Oh, yeah, this is a real mess because we don't really know who translated it. It's a, and, and the 2013 version of the New World Version has 10% less words than the one of 2012 and before. I guess you might say Bible light or maybe <laughs> fake Bible light. If we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, where do they get off taking away 10% of the words? Things that make you go, hmm. And then when we really examine that throughout the times of revision of the New World Version from the beginning, you know, the deity of Jesus is everywhere in the Bible. And they work hard to keep taking it out. And they'll find a new one and they have to take it out. And they'll find a new one and they have to take it out. Well, if it's a real translation of the Greek, you don't need to be doing that. You see, these are the problems. And when you go back to the Texas Receptus, you go back to the Dead Sea Scrolls, none of these bear out anything that that supports the New World Version. So when we understand that this is where these things come from, well, again, Jesus is not Michael the Archangel. He's God. And Mm -hmm. so this is one of the great problems. Two things all cults have in common again. Jesus Christ is not God. He's Lucifer's brother that the Mormon church teaches. Or if you get into Middle Eastern religion, I'm Jesus, you're Jesus, we're all Jesuses. Um, you get into... Um, Islam, of, believes, Islam believes he was a great prophet. Well, one of the prophets, but, Buddha, but, Muhammad, yeah, Jesus. but not the son of God. But not the son of God. Name your cult, you'll find that's messed up. And number two, there is no hell. Interestingly enough, Jesus spoke 11 times about hell in the Gospels. And the book of Jude says that those who reject God will suffer the vengeance of eternal fire forever. That's not annihilation. The Bible clearly says it's a lake of fire that burns forever. But not to these people. If you don't like something in the Bible, just rewrite the Bible to suit your own belief. Well, friends, we can't do that. God's word is right. God's word is true. And again, from every, whether you go from the Texas Receptus to the Alexandrian text, you will never get the interpretation of the New World Version that they do, whether the New Revised with 10% less words or the one before. It just doesn't happen. Things that make you go, hmm. Well, we're out of time, everybody. (laughs) Stay in line, Darren. We'll send you out some books, some DVDs. For Connie, Paula, Steve, and Sarah... Please call us back first thing tomorrow, and we'll get you on, and uh, we'll, uh, no waiting, I promise. And so uh, thanks so much, Daryl, for being on. Thank you. Sarah, stay in line. We'll get you fixed up. And so until then, keep looking up. Our redemption draws nigh. To find out more about this ministry or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226 or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226. Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash T-E-M-A. 
To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station. 